What's up, podcast listeners? It's your boy, Matt Baxter on the Matt Baxter Show. Excited to launch this very near and dear to my heart topic with an awesome, awesome new friend, Roger Price. So Roger Price is basically helping the West Michigan area turn into Silicon Valley. He's helping bring talent here. He's helping attract people. He's helping basically recreate, re-architect, and, and add on to some of the already amazing infrastructure that's happening in West Michigan. His company, Leading by Design, is this fabulous organization that is helping build leaders, train leaders, encourage leaders, and just he's doing some fantastic work. I'm super excited about the things that he's doing because West Michigan is very near and dear to my heart. Roger, thank you so much for being a guest on this episode. Tune into the show notes because there's a lot of information about him and all the different work that he's doing that if you want to reach out to him uh, for any engagement as far as consulting goes, his leadership, and everything that he... the work that he's doing highly encourage you reach out to roger he's fantastic dave thank you for setting this up so many exciting things coming out in this episode enjoy roger thank you so much for being a guest on the show i'm really excited to talk with you matt i like what you're doing there's uh i think we're gonna have a pretty fun conversation obviously we both have a heart for uh west michigan and what's going on here but if you're willing i'd love just to hear a little bit more background a little bit more about you and your story yeah, I would be happy to share with you. So I am a, uh, my wife of 40 years calls me a, a, a recovering engineer. I think I know what she means by that. But the first dozen years of my career were in the engineering world, six years at Oldsmobile, a company that used to be in business, and then six years at Prince, a company that, well, wait a minute here. <laughs> anyway, and while I was at Prince Corporation, I rediscovered in me a people development passion. I had worked in the athletic world, developing young people and even older people, and rediscovered how much I really love that. So at Prince, I was allowed to um, make a change and run the training and development department. And then that went really well. And I later became the global um, uh, director of leader development for Johnson Controls, which was a big title or big, big challenge when you start thinking global. And really enjoyed that. And, and so I've been doing that for the last 25 years, is trying to help leaders be amazing at the same time that I'm also working on my own leadership development and skills and abilities. And it's just been really fun. Um, and so in the last six years, six and a half years, I've decided to really focus on West Michigan instead of doing that throughout the country. Uh, thinking that, believing that we already have a really great um amount of talent around leadership in West Michigan. And if we could really focus that even more, we could become to leadership what Silicon Valley is to technology or what Nashville is to music, that we really could be this hotbed of the best leaders in the country. So for the last six and a half years, that's what I've been doing with uh, five others on my team. And we're having a blast. And uh, arguably, you could say we're having a lot of success with that. That's amazing. So first off, you mentioned uh, your wife for 40 years. So congratulations there. Well done. <laughs> That's uh, and, and I like that she calls you a recovering, uh, a recovering engineer. I oftentimes hear recovering accountants, recovering yeah. engineers. So, so it's, it's good to see that you coming over to the dark side, which is way more fun. <laughs> so, so I, I got to ask just the vague question, the simple question, what, what's your definition of leadership? So there's three things that I make uh, that I believe make up 80% of what it takes to be an amazing organizational leader. Those three things, first and foremost, is the foundation. That's 
you need to be someone worth following. And so that gets into character, that gets into a lot. I mean, that's that sounds like a simple thing. There's a lot to it. The second thing is that you need to develop an amazing team. You need to build an amazing team. And I can get into all three of these if you, if you like. And then the third piece is that you must create clarity for the organization, whether that's an organization of four people or 4,000 people or 40,000 people. You have to define who are we and, and where are we going and how do we behave? How will we go after these things? And so we call those purpose, vision, and values. Others may call them different things. A rose by any other name is still a rose. So the three things that make up 80% of leadership is being someone worth following, building an amazing team, and creating clarity around purpose, vision, and values. So today we live in a culture where you can be a leader, loved, respected, loved, respected, loved, respected, and then you say one thing or one thing gets found in the internet that you said 15 years ago or something, and it seems like a very fragile-ness to things. And so my question on that is, do you think – you know? How do we build a culture around following leaders, but also knowing that they're not like perfect or they're not Jesus, right? So how do we have a, a level of saying, I look up to that person, also know that they're faulted, also know that they make mistakes, but not be so fragile in our approach to that? Because it seems like there's such a very high rise of quick successes that are oftentimes diminished or, or fall flat on their face because they're human. Yeah, so there's... there's um... If I slice this a certain way, there can be two different types of leaders. Those that are organizational leaders, you know, they have a title, CEO or CFO or vice president of this or that. And then there's also um, community leaders. Could be Martin Luther King, could be Abraham Lincoln. And, and they don't have an organization per se, but they are big time leaders. Those leaders that, that you're talking, and, and they're the ones that are going to be more hurt when they said something wrong. And then people pick that up. But it turns out great community leaders are hated. And they're loved. And so if you feel like you have to be liked, you're not going to be able to lead well. You're not going to be a good congressman or you're not going to be a good mayor. You have to learn that when you lead, when you have deeply held beliefs and convictions and you lead those well because you're, you're a person worth following, those that don't see the world the way you see it are going to hate you. The better you are, the more they're going to hate you. <laughs> and so, but by and large, the leaders that we're working with, Matt, are organizational leaders, not community leaders per se. And so when a CEO says something that, you know, gets misquoted or on Facebook shows up or whatever, she has the ability of having people that already know her. And so even if she made a mistake, they're okay with that. In fact, I'm a, I'm a believer that a, a leader that is so careful and perfect that they never make mistakes is not as effective of a leader as someone who makes a few mistakes from time to time. Now, if all you do is make mistakes, that's not going to go well. But I, I uh, as a former engineer, and here's part of the recovering part, it's, it's still in me. I know that a, a pure metal, aluminum, isn't as strong as an alloy of, a, of aluminum. And the difference when I learned this in school was that an alloy has a certain amount of contaminants in it. And it's just the right amount to kind of fill the gaps in the structure. And so 
I tend to think of failures as being like those contaminants in pure aluminum that make it a stronger alloy. And so we try to help leaders realize, just do what you believe in, what's best and good. And if it doesn't go well, it's okay. People want to follow a human, not a, a robot. Now, if it goes wrong way too often, <laughs> then you need to figure out something because if you have too much contamin contaminants in the, uh, in, the, in the alloy, then it gets really brittle and, and breaks. I don't know if that's helpful, but that's part of the uh, that's part of the recovering engineer piece. No, no, I get it, I, and I, it makes me ask the question. Okay, so is it safe to assume that you're a pretty process oriented person? Uh, so my nature is to be very process oriented. I've learned that in leadership, you really have to balance that with just. That's that's exactly where I was going to go with the question. You have you have to meet the person where they are, and so you have to bring process to the to the, uh, the organization. And, and by and large, when I think about processes, I think about management. Management's about managing things like processes and making sure we're, we're using our TP3 reports properly <laughs> or whatever you might want to call those. Um, leadership is more about people. And so you want to do both. You have to do both. Uh, I, I believe that you won't rise in an organization unless you're a good manager. Unfortunately, I've seen a lot of good managers rise in organizations that are not good leaders. The people aspect of it, the creating clarity about who are we and where are we going doesn't come across that well. And unfortunately, that's that's too common. So I hope that answers your question, man. No, it sure does. I mean, Mark Zuckerberg is a fascinating person for me to study and follow a lot because we're trying to basically take a in the grand scheme of life, a very methodical, brilliant individual in a specific field and now turn them into basically a politician. Like Mark Zuckerberg started Facebook, but really basically remarkable engineer, remarkable coder to then build one of the most well-recognized organizations of all time to then now he's in such a high profile place that he's essentially more of a politician. I don't know if you saw much of what he got backlash for with everything going on with like the George Floyd cases and stuff like that. But it was interesting, some of the reactions to it, because they're expecting him to be a remarkable leader. And yes, he's the CEO and, and founder of a very large organization. But at the same time, by nature, that's not really his default. Right. And so to me, what I've just been sort of going through the mental exercise, and I'd love your perspective on that is, how do you take an engineer per se, and evolve them into be a leader where the world is process oriented, then evolves to be people oriented, which are not always following processes. Right. So what, what very I, loaded question, long winded. So yeah, sorry about that. But in fact, I, I really like it a lot because we work with many, many tech, because I am a recovering engineer, we tend to draw a lot of technical people to us. We have all kinds of people that go through our year long program. We've had a lot of technical type people, and, and Mark Zuckerberg would be an example of that. Now, they're not all brilliant like Mark Zuckerberg, but what we would start with is really um, drilling down into, Mark, what is it that you believe about the world that you would kind of bet your life on? And if you can come across true to those beliefs, that's what's going to make you a great leader. And by the way, that's also what's going to make you hated. 
Secondly, we would talk about, and beliefs, by the way, are, are things you believe are true. You just know this is true, but you can't prove it to someone. And, and we, we have all kinds of examples of that right now with what do you believe about COVID-19? What do you believe about the social unrest? And leaders have to get, they have to go inside and figure out what do I believe about this? What will I stand on? And then respectfully share and lead based on your beliefs. Second, we like to then go into is what do you value? Now, everybody values creativity and everybody to some degree and everybody values discipline to some degree. But on a list of 100 different values of which those would be two, we would want Mark to say, what are your top five? What are your top six? And so with your beliefs and those values, what's more important to you? You have to lead from that place. And this is a big part of your design, I would, I would say to Mark. And our, our name, Leading by Design, the meaning there is that everyone has a very unique design. And if you're going to try to lead in, in a way that's not aligned with who you are, not aligned with your design, you're not going to, you're not going to, you're either going to be um, really weak as a leader or you're going to do damage to yourself and to an organization. So those are the first two of five kind of roots underground. We use a tree as, as a metaphor for these things. And so underground, the roots of a tree are incredibly important to how a tree does. And there's five main you know, branches of roots that we talk about. The first is beliefs. Second is values. And if you're curious, I can, I can share the others with you in, in a bit. But so that's, well, what I, I want to talk oh, good. that's, that's what I want to talk with them about. Yeah, I didn't mean to cut you off. I, I, I want to hear the other, um, the, the, other, the other pieces to that. The one interesting... I guess thought that I have on that is so are you, do you know what the Enneagram is? Yeah. You know, I've not taken it or used it. We use some similar things. Sure. So it's one of many that are probably all pretty similar. And one of the things that they, they tell you is don't take it multiple times, which I'm sure is true with some of the other tests only maybe consider taking it after like a major, major, major life event. And so I, by default, am an eight on the Enneagram, which is like I'm a challenger. And my when I'm when I'm unhealthy, I gravitate towards a five, which is a little bit more on the reserved individualist. Like, and what's been interesting is that over the course of the last three to five years of running my business, I am extremely extroverted, love people, get energy from that, just conversations like this all day long with somebody in a coffee shop, at a, grabbing a beer, whatever it may be. But sort of the stress and life of running a business has sort of caused me at times to retreat some and more and more and more, not in a bad way, but just just retreating some. And so is there in your world with the concept of like the design thought process, is there an evolution of your design? Is it your design? And then we figure out how to help you grow from that. Do you change your design? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's you do evolve. So let me give you a, a simple, maybe a silly, but a simple example. Uh, I have a belief. Boy, can I say this publicly? I have a belief that I can drive seven miles an hour over the speed limit on the expressway, still be every bit as safe, and maybe even safer if everybody else is going that that, that speed, and I won't get a ticket. Now, if I start getting tickets at seven miles an hour over the, the speed limit, I, I will change my belief. But right now... I believe that. So we have thousands of things we believe and leaders have to get to uh, really explore what are their core beliefs. 
and and really get uh, comfortable with them, make sure they're true for them. But as as data happens, so uh, I may believe some things about the social unrest. But as we're really starting to listen to everybody now, maybe some of my beliefs will change. So that's in effect changing my design. But if you ever hire someone expecting you're going to or even marry someone <laughs> and you expect you're going to change their design for them, good luck with that. And so yeah, doesn't, what we, doesn't work too well. <laughs> yeah, what we try to do is just help people explore. What would you bet on? What would you bet your career on? What would you bet your life on? And then live true to that, and know that you will be hated if you're if you're really good. You're going to be hated by some people because they will have different beliefs and different values. And no one can say theirs are the right ones. But you have to decide for yourself what do I believe are the right ones. So uh, as, as you then go into your context of running a business, there's things that now, now that you have to do, you didn't have to do before, and that can start to change some things that you value. That can start to change some things that you believe about you and about what you need to do in the world. So uh, is that helpful? Yeah, it's super helpful. No, I like it a lot. Um, are most of the clients you work with somebody else te- telling that person they need to change or they need to improve? Uh, it's a great or are they, is it self-reflection saying, yeah. oh, I, I want to get better? You know, I, I'm going to make a guess, but of the, of the 330 that have gone through our year-long program thus far, I'm guessing in the early days, there were probably 20% of them that were told you have to go to this. And they were the, they were the toughest to work with, but usually by it's, it's a year long program. So by month six or seven, their guard has come down and they realize we're just on their side. We just want to help them explore their design and then leverage their design. And so most of, uh, of the 330, I'll bet there's only two or three that didn't really come around and say, this is really helpful. Thank you. Um, there's at least a third at some point through that. So over 100 at this point have unsolicited partway through the year said, this is changing my life. Thank you for what you're doing. And then when we do solicit, when we do ask for feedback, we get another third that say, wow, this is this transformational or life changing. And so... Um, I think the longer this has gone on, more people have heard about it and they're saying, Hey, I want to do lead 24 seven, which is what it's called. And so I think we're getting fewer and fewer people told they have to come to this and we're getting more and more people saying, I want to go do that. It makes a lot of sense. I mean, the person who, uh, somebody else has to volunteer them for it or, or, or sign them up typically is not aware of their issues and therefore probably, I don't know, maybe lacks maybe a, a harsh assumption, but maybe lacks a little bit of emotional awareness or seeking others' feedback. And so I can imagine that that would make sense why those are maybe a touch more challenging cases. Yeah. I on Sort of on that note, so I've done some like personal uh, counseling of just like, Hey, I know I've got some baggage. I know I need to address some stuff. I know I need to work through some stuff, which has been remarkable. But honestly, for the first like, uh, I don't know, call it three months of doing that, I sort of walked in was like, hey, I'm sure I need this. I don't like I could keep going my day to day without needing counseling, but I'm sure there's some faults that I don't even know questions to ask. So for somebody who's like wants to become a leader, where do they even begin of what? 
questions do they ask or where I want to become a leader? I don't know how to, how do I start? Like, how, how do you start with such a vague question that then can get into some tangible, like, Hey, let's make some improving steps towards that. Yeah. Well, knowing that there's the, we have anyway, three things that make up 80% of what it means to be a great organizational leader. And so those, those three things are being someone worth following, building an amazing team, and creating clarity around who are we and where are we going. So right off the bat, one of my favorite feedbacks I got from a, a COO of a, of a local company here, I won't share his, his name, but when I asked for feedback, how was the year for you? And he said, uh, you made it really clear what leadership is. I'd never really thought about it before. And then you gave me the tools to grow in it. So it was really wonderful. And so it starts by letting people understand, at least this is how we see what 80% of leadership is, being someone worth following, building a great team, and then creating clarity around purpose, vision, and values. Once that is done, and we do that in the first month, then we go and seek feedback about this person. We, we set up a process. You know, the Enneagram is a self, you know, you fill out an assessment and then it tells you who you are. We also use those kinds of tools. But another thing we do is what we what we call 360 degree feedback. And so we set up a tool that they can give to a dozen people that know them and a dozen people that they trust and think will be honest with them. And then they give feedback to us about this person. We then give them a report. Here's how people perceive you, whether it's true, whether it's not true, you're going to have to decide. And sometimes you get opposites. You know, if I'm a really, really quiet person in a meeting and uh, Matt, you, you, you talk, you know, 20 percent, 30 percent more than I do, I might think you talk too much. But if you talk 50 percent less than someone else in that meeting, that person's going to give feedback saying you don't talk enough. And so you have to understand that when you get this kind of feedback, you get it from people's perspective. And sometimes it can be confusing. But that's that's a way that we help leaders figure out how do you even do this thing? We, we kind of set the model, these, you know, these three cores, be someone worth following, build a great team and, and create clarity. And then we give you feedback. We, we harvest feedback for you to see how do people experience you? And that kind of begins the year long journey with us then. Is your program designed for people who are in positions of over, like, uh, let me, let me backtrack. Would you see value of somebody who's not held a leadership, quote unquote, position or managerial position going through this? And the reason why, like, I certainly could see value for somebody who is not understanding themselves. But at the same time, there's also the sort of school of hard knocks of what it's like to have an employee mad at something because they're having a bad day that it's just really difficult to ever experience experience what that those emotions are like until you've gone through it. So do you advise people going through your program or pursuing these line of questionings to have sort of been through real world experiences? Or do you think it's good to start for somebody, maybe a college kid who's never had it over, not that they haven't, but something in that circumstance started from scratch? Yeah. So it's interesting you ask this question because yesterday I was teaching over Zoom uh, eight uh, leaders, four of them are CEOs, Two of them are vice presidents of human resources. One was a VP of R&D, and the other was a, a senior vice president of a local bank here. And they said as they were going through 
uh, we're about halfway through a, an acute version of our year-long program. We're doing it very fast for such a time as this. And one of them made a comment, say, you know, this stuff, and we were talking about listening and listening effectively. And several had said, you know, I thought I was a pretty good listener until you taught this. And I realized I'm not doing the things that you say a good listener does. And so um, it's like, wow, I've got to make this change. And then someone made the comments like, seems like we should have learned this in high school. And then uh, someone who works with uh, educators said, you know what, even learning this in grade school would have been really wise. And then another a CEO said, hey, I went through my MBA. I didn't learn any of this stuff there. And so I guess what I would say is what we're teaching really affects everybody, but it's really a great investment for people that are leading other people. It's very common for, for uh, people partway through our year to say to me, um, you know, this, this is so good. This is changing my life and it's helping me at work. Yeah, 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 yeah. But man, I'm such a better wife or such a better husband or such a better parent. And, and I love that. Uh, I know that part of your podcast is about purpose. Like, oh man, that warms my heart that we're helping people be better pretty much everything. And then I remind them, Hey, your company made a significant investment for you to be here. So make sure you're, you're showing up as your best self at work as an organizational leader. So my answer, my short answer is this really helps anybody. It really does. Now we try to, uh, we always work in cohorts of nine. So if we're going to have someone who's uh, the, the youngest person I think we've had was 27 years old, we're going to try to put him in a co cohort with younger, earlier leaders. And then the, we've had several CEOs go through it. So we like to bunch them together with other CEOs or C-suite leaders. So maybe a long answer, but I hope a helpful one. No, no, it's super helpful. That's fantastic. So, so, uh, where does where does Mich West Michigan go from here? And you, you've mentioned uh, Silicon Valley is to technology as West Michigan should be to leadership. You know, wh where do we go from here? So it's possible that we're already among the, the best in the country. So I remember uh, several, a uh, couple different times I've uh, heard of a study of the most philan philanthropic areas in the country. And when I watched, when I read the, the reports, and this was several years ago, but two different times, I think we were number two behind Salt Lake City and Utah. And personally, I think there's a correlation between philanthropy and being a great leader, that it's, a, it's about other people. It's about giving. It's not about taking. And so I think we're already maybe there, but no one's ever named it, Matt. So I get to be the lucky person that six and a half years ago named it, said, let's be the best. Now, one of the things engineers do is we like to play under the radar for a while. Let's make sure this is real before we kind of go public. And so it was last year, five years into this, said, you know what? It's ringing very true. As I talk with people from outside of West Michigan that have moved here and I say, do you see this? They go, I do. It's just uncanny how many people resonate when I share this. And so it, five years in, I became convinced we have a secret sauce. We have a special formula. We have a special way for working with leaders that has a lot of traction. And so it's time. I'm not naturally big and bold. I'm, you know, like most engineers, I'm kind of an introvert and I don't really want to put myself out there. But the mission requires me now to be on podcasts 
and, and to talk with people and spread our story. And so, uh, so that's first thing. We're already doing really well. We also have to get better at casting vision. And we also have to get better at this West Michigan nice thing. How can we still be nice? How can the intent of being nice, but not the dysfunction of being too nice? Leaders have to give feedback, both affirming feedback and adjusting feedback. And we don't give enough adjusting feedback. We don't give enough feedback to help people really grow into who they could be. And so those would be the two things that I'd say we have to we have to work on in West Michigan to become even more amazing than we already are, that we have to learn how to, we talk about leaning into healthy conflict. And we teach, it's the number one thing we teach through the year. We hit it three times because it's so important. And then we also talk about a lot of companies here are clear about why they exist, what their purpose is, but they haven't done a great job of creating an inspiring vision. Here's where we're going. And so in our case, our inspiring vision. Our, so our, our purpose is, again, that we will be to leadership what Silicon Valley is to technology. That's why we exist. Our vision is that by the year 2027, we will have had a thousand West Michigan leaders go through our year-long program. And we're continuing in, to invest in them as alumni, which we do several ways. I can describe that later if you want. But by the time a thousand have gone through our program, they are impacting another 10 each you know, on average. And so there's 10,000 people in West Michigan that are better at doing the conflict thing. They, they build relationships by engaging in what some would call conflict. And they're, they're creating clearer vision, just like we did. Here's where we're going. Here's what we're doing. And it will propel West Michigan to be noticeably, you know, it'll be palpable here in West Michigan that, wow, something's going on around leadership. I like that a lot. Um, you mentioned, you know, the value add for the alumni and what you're doing with that. Would you would you be willing to explain a little bit further of that? Sure. So so someone who's gone through the year with us, we do several things. And I've learned from other programs that were amazing programs. Uh, we actually had one in, in town here that was uh, about innovation, learning how to innovate. And the people loved their experience. But then, you know, they kind of got in some ways, you know, forgotten. It's like, oh, well, good luck. And uh, it's really tricky to figure out how are we going to continue to stay in touch with all these alums. But that really compelled me, thanks to the wisdom of these people that ran this amazing program. They said, Roger, you've got to figure out a way to stay in, in contact. So there's really several things we do. One is every week we write a blog to them. It's on our website. Anybody can see it if they want, which is at uh, leadingbd.com. And just go to the blog and anybody can read it. But right up front, we say, hey, we're writing this to our alumni, so we may use some language and models you don't understand. Another thing that we do is that we offer them to be in small groups led by them. And so they can go through the year again in two hours a month instead of a full day a month. And they just kind of remind each other every month, here's what we study in, in month one and in month two and in month three. And so we have seven of those small groups going right now of our alumni, about seven, eight people in each of those. We also have a really cool space in our office here. Our, our, our customers love our space. We're in, a, we're in an antique factory in the Colonial Clock Building in Zealand. And, and my wife and I have always loved antiques, so it's full of industrial antiques. 
And uh, one of the spaces is built for our alums. In fact, that's where I'm talking to you from right now is in our alumni room. And so it's filled with whiteboards and a, you know, a, 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 mon a big, big screen monitor and a, and a cool uh, conference table, which is also actually a ping pong table in case they want to have some fun. But it looks like this executive conference table. And so that's another of the things we do is they can use this room for free anytime they want. So a lot of our alumni will bring their teams over here and do some team building or some strategic planning and those kinds of things. So those are three of the things that we're doing for our alumni. Yeah, that's fantastic. So for you personally, what's what's ultimately the the uh, the mark you want to leave in the world? Um, so uh, I am a, a believer. So if you're going deeply and, and we believe in transparency and authenticity. So so for me personally, I want to honor God by the work that I do. I believe what's been placed on my heart is that uh, I've, I've been given the opportunity. I haven't been told I have to do this, but I've been given the opportunity to help West Michigan be, you could say, you know, a, a light, a, a shining city on a hill, that we would be different in how we treat people. And leaders are the best way to try to make that happen. If, if you impact leaders, you impact the world. Now, in this case, we're trying to keep that focused here in West Michigan until 2027. And then who knows, maybe my team, that's when I plan to retire, by the way. Then maybe my team will take it global. Maybe they'll take it Midwest. I don't know. But what, what, I, what we are trying to do is to impact people for good and help them be effective so that they can impact people for good. And when you have a vibrant economy and you have great leaders that create a place that people love to go during the day, and when they go home at night, they're a better person than when they showed up in the morning. That's a worthy call. And that's really kind of the call on my life is one, my team and I, we would model this ourselves. And then secondly, we would do everything we can to help leaders in, in these cohorts of nine, but then also in the one-on-one -on -one coaching that we do each of with each of them for two hours a month to help them do this same thing here in West Michigan. That's good stuff. I like that. And my, my favorite question on the planet is ultimately, what is it that gets you out of bed in the morning? You, you touched a little bit on faith in your life and obviously calling and inspiring leaders as well too, but just, you know, for you, what is it that, that, that ultimately drives you to keep doing what you're doing? Yeah. So uh, it's, it's really our purpose, which you could call a mission that, that uh, you're too young to know the Blues Brothers. I'm, I'm 63, so I remember the movie The Blues Brothers, but they used to, they used to talk about, yeah, we're on a mission from God. <laughs> and so I kind of use that same line. That gets me out of bed in the morning. We're trying to advance this mission that we would be recognized as a hotbed of the best leaders in the country. And so it's, it just inspires all six of us are really driven by that. And so now during this time of pandemic, it's like, wow, one of the first things to be cut in a budget is uh, training dollars. And yet this is a time when leaders need us more than ever. And so it's like, wow, what do we do with that? One of the things we teach is innovation. So we went through our innovation process. It took us two weeks to say, what should we be doing during this time of the COVID-19 shutdown? And what we decided to do was offer free um, uh, coaching sessions to any C-suite leader in West Michigan that might not have the budget right now to pay us, but better than us trying to make N95 masks and PPE, 
we can help leaders figure their way through this. And our coaching really helps leaders get clear about what's best and good based on my beliefs and my values and my gifts and my passions. What can I do best during this time? And so that's what gets us out of bed in the morning. And that's what's specifically getting us out of bed right now. We're, we're doing a, an, an acute version of our year-long program. We're doing it in four months. And we're doing this acute complimentary coaching for any C-suite leader in West Michigan that would like one or two coaching sessions. And so that's- if, if anybody's interested in, in learning about that, then go to our website, which is www.leadingbd.com. My contact information is on there. They call my cell phone, which is 616-405-1918. We would love to help them through this time. That's fantastic. And I'll make sure to include all that in the in the show links as well, too, so people can contact you and reach out. Um, and I, I guess, is there anything else you want to leave the audience with? Uh, I guess not the audience, but with you. Uh, I'd love to have a beer with you sometime, Matt. You sound, you sound like a fascinating young man. And it'd be pretty darn cool if I could figure out a way to help to invest in you as you also. I mean, we're both investing in West Michigan, right? So why wouldn't I want to help you? So anyway, but I don't think, I don't know if I have anything else to share with the audience. <laughs> no, I'm, uh, I'm definitely going to take you up on that. That sounds pretty darn good. So thank you for saying that. And, and Roger, thank you so much for being a guest on this podcast. Obviously the, the work you're doing goes far beyond just West Michigan uh, impacting people and people's families and lives. So that's just remarkable. But also I have a special <laughs> bias towards you in the sense that I, I, I'm, I'm very stoked and um, fired up that you're doing this in West Michigan as well, too. So thank you. Well, I'd love to connect with you sometime. So it was a real pleasure to talk with you, Matt. Thanks for doing what you're doing. Absolutely.